Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Praise God. It's exciting, isn't it, to walk with someone, to see the vision that God puts in someone's heart and to see it played out and watch God develop things and watch God do miracles. It's just so awesome. I love it. I just love to see people find and fulfill their God-given destiny to see what direction God is pointing them in and to go after it. You're going after God, but pursuing the purpose of God in their life and seeing God do amazing things. You know, um, coming up in September, we're going to be, have the opportunity uh, at, at the conference for EFI conference. I was asked to speak there this year because they wanted us, me to come and share our story, the story of Destiny City and the journey we've been on. Boy, we've been on a journey. And uh, it gets more and more exciting every day. And uh, I just want you to know we're getting very, very close to having this building in our hands so that we can begin to do some things. And it's just, we're seeing things taking place. As you know, we've been leasing for the last couple of years with a lease purchase option on the building. And we're getting very close to securing a loan where we can have it in our hands. And we're believing God that even before the loan is signed off, that God will put the money in our hands just to pay it off. We won't have to worry about the loan. I like it better that way. That's the way God works. Amen. But we'll do whatever the Lord needs because the lady needs the money. You know, she said, I, I can't carry the note anymore. So we've got to do, we're kind of, our hand is being forced on it. So we've got to do something. So, but God, you know, it's amazing how God operates. It never, I know one time we were going on a missions trip to Mexico and we needed $1,300 and we were flying out the next day. We had 300 you know, and, and we get a call and someone says, we want to see you. So we come, they give us some money. We got the money. You know, it's like literally the 11th hour. Remember when we were buying the property, the old four, four square property behind the building over there, we bought that property and it played out that we got the money the day before we were supposed to sign. And we were believing God to supply the need and God supplied the need and we didn't have to borrow the money. Nobody was going to loan it to us anyway, but you know, <laughs> God gave us the money the day before, literally the day before. It's just, it's like, God, why can you not just give it to us like six years in advance? And then we can just, but see, that's not the way God operates. We walk by faith, not by sight. Because we could see it, it wouldn't be faith, right? So we walk by faith and God always does things. I don't know why he does it. I guess it's to build our faith. Because the trying of your faith works what? Patience. Patience. So we wait on the Lord, you know, and we, we get impatient sometimes and we put, do things ourselves. But when our faith is being tried and we're patient, we wait on God. It's like, you know, at the last minute, well, I know God's going to do it. Well, when's it coming through, you know? And it's like, just be patient. God's going to do this, you know, and then he always comes through. That's just the way God works. So just wanted to kind of let you know that we're getting closer, but we need you to give. Now here's, I brought that up to say this. We have a couple of, of areas where we can sow some seed. Now, as you were talking, you were sharing that, you know, we don't reap if we don't sow. And so I got a letter this week from my good friend, Inmer um, uh, Zuniga, and he's uh, our Hispanic brother that pastors churches up in Kentucky. He's the one that goes with me down to Mexico. This guy is just, uh, he's an apostle. He truly is. And we go down and, and it's like Paul and Silas. It's like God just does amazing stuff. And we're there, we see people healed and all kinds of miracles taking place. And, you know, we're baptizing people in the hotel pool at one o'clock in the morning and stuff like that. It's just amazing. But Enmer is planting churches all up in Warsaw, Kentucky, all around that area. 
and they have an opportunity to buy a church building for $50,000. And so they sent out an appeal from churches. I would like for Destiny City to commit it to at least $1,000 toward that, to sow into that ministry, you know. So if you want to be a part of that, if you want to reap part of the blessing of that, or, you know, you reap all the blessing, because if we give a cup of water to a prophet, guess what? We receive a, a prophet's reward. So we will sow into that ministry and if, uh, next Sunday, if you'll come prepared, if you'll pray and ask God what you can do, we might give a lot more. It all depends on how you respond. I'd love to be able to send $20,000. That would just bless me so much to be able to do that. Because, you know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, isn't it? It truly is. When you know you can plan into somebody else and sow into somebody else and watch what God does in them, it just, it just charges my battery to be able to do that. So uh, y'all just rejoice with me. Get in the thing with me. Becky and I are going to give. And and I haven't even talked to her about it yet. Just know, honey, we will, okay? So, you know, sometimes when I do that, I see kind of this, like, deer in the headlights look. <laughs> but God's good, amen? Which leads me to my verse of Scripture to start out with this morning. Perfect, perfect segue into this. And I want to talk to you this morning about serving our way into our destiny. Serving our way into our destiny. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Everybody say, do not give up. up. Say it a little more emphatically. Do not give up. Don't quit. You know, God, God has no room for quitters. You know, he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved. God doesn't, he likes for us to continue on and not fade back. He wants us to march forward in faith. So don't quit. Don't give up. Therefore, everybody say therefore, as we have opportunity. How many believe God's a God of opportunity? He gives us opportunities all the time to do the next thing. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's pause for just a moment. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your word. And and we just ask you, Lord, just to, to just govern every thought, every word that proceeds out of my mouth. Holy Spirit, just govern every thought, every action, every deed that takes place today in this message. I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, cause our hearts to be open and our ears ready to respond, and Lord, our bodies and our minds ready to engage and do and be obedient to what your word calls us to do today. We pray in Jesus' name, and if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. All right, praise God. We're all on board with that, okay? So, last week we talked a little bit about Romans chapter 12, and I I just felt like we kind of rushed through last week because I had a lot going on, and I didn't even realize I had more time. I quit early, you know. I mean, we were done before 12 o'clock, which is, you know, my wife was like, she was like, God performed a miracle today. And I'm thinking, somebody get healed? She said, no, you got done before 12. I'm like, oh, wow. That's a bigger miracle. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be as a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. Now, we breezed across that so we can get to the next part. But we need to stop and consider what's being said there. When we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, what we're saying is, God, I give myself to you to be used 
however you choose to. That's what that means. Because holy means to be set apart for holy use. God has set us apart to use us. So what we're doing is we're coming to him and saying, we're saying, God, I submit my body to you to use it however you choose to do so because this is just my reasonable service because of all that you've done for me. We do things out of gratitude. We give out of gratitude. We serve out of gratitude because of what God has done for us. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about being a love slave. You know, I'm a love slave to my wife. If she asked me to do something, I'm going to do it. Why? Because she demands it? No, because I love her. You know, I'll do what she asked me to do. Now, when we, when we had her birthday a couple weeks ago, you know, I would have much rather taken her to a nice dinner and a movie. But she wanted me to put um, an addition onto our patio in 90-degree weather. It would have been much better to go to an air-conditioned restaurant and order a meal. Believe me, we could have gotten by much cheaper. But because I love my wife, I was willing to do that for her just because I love her. See, that's the same way it is with God. We're willing to do things for Him because we love Him. We love His people. We're willing to serve. You know, it's not that we're demanded to serve. It's because we get to. We get to serve the Lord. I love serving the Lord. I mean, I'd rather do it for him than anything because we know the reward is great and the satisfaction in knowing that we're pleasing our Heavenly Father. You know, it's just like, you know, a kid colors a picture and they bring it to you. You know, you don't look at that picture and say, oh, that's disgusting. What in the world is it? We look at it, oh, that's beautiful. And we wait for them to tell us what it is. Oh, that's the best looking giraffe I've ever seen. We lie through our teeth because we... We want that child to feel special, and they do when we tell them, you know, how wonderful it is. We do things like that for our Father because we know it pleases His heart. And that's what we do. We yield our bodies up. We give our bodies up as a living sacrifice, a holy one, the kind that He will find acceptable. And this is truly the best way to worship Him. And then it says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. The King James Version says, be not conformed to this world. But the New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Wow. Changing what? How do we change the way we think? All is determined by what we put into our mind. What goes into our minds, what we allow into our minds, into our think tank, determines what we think. And what we think determines how we act and our attitudes. And our attitudes and our actions determine then our destiny. So it's so important that we govern what we allow into our minds. You know, my wife and I, we, we, we recently got Netflix. And, and, you, and you turn on, the, on Netflix, and just about every other movie is an R. You know, R stands for reject. So we end up watching Dolphin Tail or something, you know. It's just... <laughs> oh, well, I don't even know where I'm at now. 
let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how, how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How many know that God has something good for you? God only wants good for you. We know that. We quote the verse out of, out of Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, you know, for I know the plans for you that, you know, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. We quote that, sometimes even taking it out of context. But when you look at the, tro- the total context of it, you see that they were on a journey. They were going to a bad place, but God was going to bring them out. And sometimes we look at the things that God is doing. And we say, oh, God, you promised good for me. But we're impatient. We're impatient on waiting, God. We don't want to go through the process. We don't want to endure the process to see what's on the other side. And sometimes we grow weary and we give up and we faint along, along the way. But God wants us to hang in there. Everybody say, hang in there like a hair in a biscuit. That's right. That's... So you remember that. So somebody says, how you doing? Well, I'm hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. You know, I don't know if you've ever gotten one or not, but you can certainly identify if you have. So we're not to be conformed. And that word conformed actually means to be squeezed into the mold of. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into this world's mold. It's so easy to get caught up in the ideology and the philosophy of this world. You know, um, I, I don't like PC. You know what that is, don't you? That's partially correct. You know, and there are a lot of PC preachers that are partially correct. They'll only give you certain parts of the truth. But you know, Satan gives part of the truth in order to deceive. And he lies in wait to deceive us. And if we're only getting partial truth, then we're getting a lie. You know? Someone will love something until they get what they want out of it, then they no longer love it. It's just like you get that brand new car and you drive the new car home and, and, and you love it until somebody in the Walmart parking lot gets too close. And they bash the side of your door or you back up into a tree or something breaks down on it. Then all of a sudden you don't love it much anymore because you're still making payments. It's still costing you something, but you don't love it as much as you used to love it, you know? And that's the way that it is when we are squeezed into the things of this world. And, we, and, and the Bible tells us, love not the world or the things in the, of the world. For friendship with the world puts us at enmity with God. The things of this world are so contrary to the principles of the Word of God. Oh, what have we guided by? Now, sometimes we want to be accepted by others around us. So we're willing to compromise in order to be accepted, you know? And, and we'll, we'll go along with, with other people because we don't want to be shut out of that particular circle of friends. Kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had, to make a, they had to make a choice. Everybody else was doing it. It would have been so easy for them to just bow down, you know, and, and, and you know, repent later. But they didn't. They stood on the principles. Because they knew there was a greater principle. There was a greater authority that wasn't work in their life. 
if they bowed down to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set before them, that they were in effect denying their God before all of their peers. They were saying, our God is not able to deliver us. But what they did is they stood and they said, our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your gods. But we see that God did deliver them. Daniel was the same way when they said, stop praying, Daniel. Say, what? Look, you're talking to an old man here. You know, I've been around a while. And I know my God answers prayers. You telling me not to pray is like telling me not to breathe. You can forget it, Jack. Just come on back because I'm going to be praying. Same time, same station. And he did. And they said, look, Daniel, if you do it, it's going to cost you. And they passed an edict and said, if you do it, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. And so Daniel stood his ground and guess what? Even the king didn't want to do it because he'd been trapped into doing it. And he signed the edict and it was irreversible. And so when Daniel came to, when it came to the choice, what did he have to do? He made the choice, I'm going to stand with God. You know, throw me into the lion's den. If they eat me up, they'll get a good meal. I'm old and tough. Good luck to them. But I believe that my God is able to deliver me out of the mouths of the lions. And they threw him in the lion's den. And Daniel's like, come here, kitty, kitty, kitty. The old lions are purring. And they lay down. And, you know, he tosses them a ball of yarn. And they're slapping it around. So the next morning, the king sneaks up to the lion's den. He's distraught. He fasted all night. He didn't sleep. He's like, I wonder if God, Daniel's God was able to deliver him. And he goes the next morning to the lion's den. He says, oh, Daniel, man of God, was your God able to deliver you? Daniel's like, oh, who is that? <laughs> Everything's cool here. We see God delivers us. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Let God change you into what he wants you to be. The world will try to pigeonhole you into what they think you ought to be. You know, I, I, I love those, uh, those little personality tests that we take and everything else. And, and we look at the personality tests and say, well, you fit into this category and you fit into this category and you fit into this category. Well, if you knew my personality before I came to the Lord, you would say, well, this guy will never be a preacher. He's probably destined to be a bank robber or a drug dealer or something, but never a preacher. He'll never be. We see God had a different design. And so when we yield ourselves to what God wants us to do, then he begins to mold us and shape us into what he desires for us. And then we can fulfill our God-given destiny. That's good stuff, isn't it? So, so the process, this, this thing of transformation is a process that we go through. It takes time. But we can speed up the process by putting ourselves in the right environment. You know, we have tomato plants at our house. We set them in the shade. They didn't grow good. It's only when we put them in the sunshine that they begin to grow. But if we put them in direct sunshine, guess what? Too much sun. Too much of a good thing. So you have to get it just right. But if you put it in the right place, in the, in the, the right atmosphere, give it the right nutrients, the right water and everything else, you're going to have more tomatoes than you know what to do. I know somebody discovered that. I got proof of it sitting on my desk. Thank you, by the way. 
So we put ourselves in the right environment, we grow. And Paul describes a healthy environment for transformation in the next 10 verses of Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to kind of take you through it real quickly. Romans 12, 3 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you to do what? Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. You know, we're not all that. Okay? But it's to have sound judgment as God has allotted to such a measure of faith. God has given each one of us a measure of faith. What are we going to do with it? Now, here's the thing. Faith is like what? A grain of mustard seed. So what do you do with a a grain of mustard seed? Well, you can do one of two things. You can put it in a little jar and look at it. I got faith. See, I got faith right here. I got faith like a grain of mustard seed. See? Or we can take that measure of faith and we can plant it into the fertile soil of the kingdom of God And it will begin to grow. It will begin to grow and it will begin to develop. It will go through seasons of change. Sometimes it will have to be pruned. You know what pruning is for? To help us to grow more and produce more fruit. It's not fun, is it? Anybody love pruning? Oh, God, prune me. I don't hear anybody praying that prayer. It's like, oh, God, why are you pruning me? I love that branch. Why would you have to cut it off? But God does that. He takes us through the process. But as we're going through it, we, we, we have to, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And, uh, and humility is the key to proper growth and functionality in the body of Christ. Jesus modeled humility for his disciples. In John 13, we see an example of it by the washing of the, of the feet of his disciples. Jesus said, I want to give you a, an example of what servitude is about. I want to give you an example of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And he took all his, off of his outer robes and he put a towel around his waist. You know what that towel represented, don't you? That's what slaves wore. They didn't have clothes. They just had a little loincloth. And he put that thing around his waist. And he gets down and starts to wash his feet. And whose feet did he go to first? Who was always mouthing out? Lord, all these other disciples... They may, deny, they may de- uh, deny you. They might run from you, but not me, Peter. So it goes right to Peter, the mouthy one. You know, it, it, it served him well later, but when the Holy Spirit got a hold of that mouth, it changed him. But, but Peter is like, Master, you can't wash my feet. He's like, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you don't have anything to do with me. And Peter said, okay, give me a bath then. He said, you don't need a bath. You're already clean. You're missing the point, Peter. Just be quiet. <laughs> so Jesus goes around the circle and he washes all of their feet. And you can imagine how they must have felt when their rabbi, their, their teachers washing their feet. I mean, it, it was so much more than what we can even perceive in our own minds. It would be like the president washing your feet. I mean, it was, it was just almost embarrassing to them that Jesus, their master, washing their feet but he did it to show them something this is the key to greatness in the kingdom is that we are willing to serve one another he said I'm showing you an example of what servitude is really all about we humble ourselves we don't exalt ourselves we humble ourselves you know I've had people walk through the door with a, literally walk through the door with a briefcase telling me how they came to help me expand my ministry 
Just give me a position. That's all I ask. And I can help you. Okay, I'll give you a position. Go out in the parking lot. Park cars. It's a good position. Or how about cleaning the bathrooms for six months? You know, that's your position. That's your assignment. Because we want to be great in the kingdom of God, then we've got to learn how to serve. That's what God has called us to. It's to serve one another. So Jesus gave them this, this, this example. Paul illustrates how it all works. He says, for is in one body, in verse 4, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Say, they do not all have the same function. We're all different. Not everybody can get up here and preach on Sunday morning. Not everybody can. Not everybody wants to. Bill, would you like to preach next Sunday? I didn't think so. He's come a long way. For him to do what he did on that video was amazing. I mean, to see how God is really working in Bill's life, see how God's working in the lives of others, see how people are stepping forward and seeing what God is doing. He's transforming them. That's what's happening. There's a transformation that's taking place. And sometimes we don't realize what we can do until God gets a hold of us and God begins to change the way we think. And God begins to change our personality in the way that we are. And God begins to mold us into something incredible just because we humbled ourselves to him and we humbled ourselves to others. So Paul kind of gives us the key. He says, he says so we having Though, uh, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Then he says, let us use them. Say that. Let us use them. What good is it if we got gifts and we don't use them? You know? I mean, some people don't have the gift and they try to use it. And other people got the gift and they refuse to use it. Now, what's wrong with that picture? I think fear paralyzes us sometimes. We, we have such a low self-image that we don't think God can use us. That's a lie of the devil. God can use every one of us if we're willing to just put ourselves on the line, if we're willing to be a vessel that God can use. We just pour ourselves out and we say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Use me. You see, we, we have somewhat of a mantra or a philosophical statement concerning leadership here at Destiny City and how it's determined and established. And, and this is that mantra. You serve your way into leadership. So if you want to be in leadership here, here's what you do. Serve. Serve. Well, pastor, what can I do? Hey, we'll find a place for you. There's plenty of opportunities to serve. There are a lot of areas that we can serve. We want to take service outside the walls of the church, not just here. You know, we, we wait for somebody to ask us to do something. Look around. Look around. If you're walking down the parking lot and you see trash on the side of the, of the, of the curb, don't just walk by it and say, somebody will get it. Pick it up. Well, nobody will know that I picked it up. God will. God will. You know, most of us, we throw stuff down and say, hope somebody didn't see that. <laughs> but we serve our way into leadership. We're constantly in observing and watching for those who are willing to step forward when there's an opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. 
when there's an opportunity to serve, God will give us opportunity after opportunity. We had a great opportunity yesterday. We had a family. The call just, the other day, we haven't seen them in a long time, but they called and they had a, had a devastating tragedy in their family. They lost a son. And they didn't have anywhere else to go. So they called us. And we had an opportunity to serve. We could have said, well, we hadn't seen you around here in a while. You know, where you been? But we didn't. We, we look for opportunities to serve people. And God honors that. God honors that. And some of you were here, and, and we had people to step forward to come and serve those people. And you know, it meant so much to that family that you were willing to step forward and to serve them and to minister to them in their time of need. Your reward is great in the kingdom. This is those small things. And, and there are other people that serve. Look around you. I mean, somebody did all of this. I won't tell you who. But God knows. I mean, look at all of this stuff. These lights up here. Somebody put those up. Those didn't get up there by themselves. God, you know, somebody did it. The, the, everything in here. Somebody served to get it done. And it's just amazing. I, I'll, I'll never forget when we moved into this place... Ten weeks is the time that we had to do it. And believe me, there was a lot of transformation that had to take place in order for us to be able to meet here for the first Sunday. I mean, we didn't want to just come into a nasty house and, you know, throw up a few chairs and have a meeting. We wanted the place to look good. So we came in, and, and, and there were people that stepped into motion. I mean, just, it was amazing to see all the people that jumped in, you know, just, it was amazing See all the work that was going on and see the transformation took place in 10 weeks. Boom, we were in here. And people walked in, they're like, wow. Because they knew what it was before we started to see the transformation. But it took a joint effort. It took all of us working together. And so you serve your way into leadership. And, and, and a willingness to serve will not always qualify someone for a particular position. But an unwillingness to serve will absolutely disqualify anyone for any position. If we're not willing to serve, forget it. You know, we're not going to sign you up if we don't see some fruit, if we don't see something going on. But you have opportunities to grow into what God wants you to do. We provide those opportunities, but it takes the determination that I'm going to serve. I'm going to be willing to serve wherever I can and however I can and and fill those positions that God needs. Even though they might not be seen by others, God sees it. He knows. So... Jesus even stated that greatness was determined by our willingness to serve others. In Matthew 20, uh, verses 20 through 28, it says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Debbie, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectably to, to ask a favor. And he said, What's your request? And she said, and this is Mama talking, she says, In your kingdom, please, let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on the right and one on the left. I could just see it. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? They didn't know what was coming up. Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. They didn't know what they were talking about, did they? We know what happened when the chips were on the table. They ran like scared rabbits. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared it for those, for the, uh, prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. 
But when the other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow, think about that for just a moment. He gave us the example. He gave us the perfect example of what service is really all about. By giving his life as a ransom for us all. This is the God of the universe lowering himself, coming and being a servant. And it says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind or this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was that attitude like? Who lowered himself and became a slave. He lowered himself even to death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him above all his fellows. So that his name is above all other names that are named. At the name of Jesus, every other name shall bow in heaven and earth and beneath. You see, he gave us an example. And it says that in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that he gave us an example that we should follow in his steps. I believe it was Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. And it's, it's, a, it's a good read. It's, a, it's an old classic. But this town was having so many problems and stuff. And the mayor of the town made a determination that they were going to put a principle into action. Remember a few years ago, those little bracelets that came out, said WWJD, what would Jesus do? They were based on that book, basically. And so they made a determination that they were going to do, and they were going to respond in every situation the way Jesus would respond. And when they did, it totally transformed the whole town. So Jesus gave us an example of what service is about, so we model ourselves after him. If he was willing to serve, then we should be willing to serve. Who was he willing to serve? Anybody. He rejected nobody. I remember one time reading about a bunch of kids that came to Jesus. His disciples said, Lord, send them away. He says, no. Let the little children come to me. For as such is the kingdom of heaven. Anyone that enters into the kingdom must, must first become like these children. Humble yourself. So, if we're constantly observing it, we are, we're waiting on, on God to show us. But we have a philosophy here at Destiny City. And if you look at our sign out there, it kind of illustrates our philosophy. And we're going to play a little clip here to show you where this philosophy comes from. It's called the Seven Mountain Strategy. And I, was, I wanted you to have the history of it so that you would know what it is. So we're going to put it up here on the board for you. It was August 1975, and the Lord had given me that day a list of things that I had never thought about before. He said, this is the way to reach 
America and nations for God. In every city of the world, an unseen battle rages for dominion over God's creation and the souls of people. This battle is fought on seven strategic fronts, looming like mountains over the culture to shape and influence its destiny. Over the years, the church slowly retreated from its place of influence on these mountains, leaving a void now filled with darkness. When we lose our influence, we lose the culture, and when we lose the culture, we fail to advance the kingdom of God. And now, a generation stands in desperate need. It's time to fight for them and take back these mountains of influence. The mountain of government, where evil is either restrained or endorsed. The mountain of education, where truths or lies about God and his creation are taught. The mountain of media, where information is interpreted through the lens of good or evil. The mountain of arts and entertainment, where values and virtue are celebrated or distorted. The mountain of religion, where people worship God in spirit and truth, or settle for a religious ritual. The mountain of family, where either the blessing or a curse is passed on to successive generations. And the one mountain they all depend on, the mountain that fuels and funds all the other mountains, the mountain of business, where people build for the glory of God, or the glory of man, where resources are consecrated for the kingdom of God, or captured for the powers of darkness. Those who lead this mountain control what influences our culture. The last 50 years, we've seen the most rapid moral decline in history. The culture we inherited from our forefathers is disintegrating before our eyes. What kind of world are we leaving for our children and grandchildren? As long as the business mountain is held by enemies of the gospel, funding for the other mountains will always be constrained, and any efforts to advance the kingdom of God will be hindered. Imagine God's people reclaiming their cities in government, in the arts and entertainment, in the media, in education, in the family, in religious influence, but only limited by their imagination and not by a lack of finances. It's possible, but first, we must take back the mountain of business. God's move to take this mountain back has already begun. Thousands and thousands of business leaders in every major city across the nation are filling arenas to learn from business leaders and hear the gospel of Christ. 90% of people working in the marketplace believe in God. 78% believe spirituality and business mix. 70% say that because of their faith, they find meaning and purpose in life. There are over 56 million Bible-believing Christians working in the marketplace. A vast army of God waiting to be truly engaged in the battle. Yet this strategic army and battlefront has largely been left ignored by the church. More than 90% of church members do not feel they are being equipped or trained by the church to apply biblical faith in their day-to-day life. The business mountain is so strategic because that is the place of influence. When you look at culture, so much of culture is defined by what happens in business. If we would use the wealth of the world to bless the world, and bless it not only to distribute to the needy that which they need. When you bring economy and economic benefit to a nation or a culture, uh, then you have influence in that culture. People, as they're transformed, who will transform 
all the spheres of society. It is time to reclaim the seven mountains and bring the life of God back into our culture. wanted to kind of give you a synopsis of why we espouse and believe in the Seven Mountain Strategy and what it's all about. You see, if salt has lost its savor, what good is it? What is salt in our society? It is our influence. Now, is the church influencing society or is society influencing the church? And we see how society looks at the church when the church has become listless and ineffective, they're just trampled underfoot by society. You know, the church used to be the major voice in politics. If you don't believe it, go back and read your history. Don't read the revisionist history, but go back and read your old history books that tell the truth. And you'll see that the church was engaged in every sector of society. In the schools, the church was involved. In business, The church was involved. They were involved in every aspect of society. But we have retreated and we brought the church and we've reduced it down to a flowery little sermon on Sunday morning, a few songs and hallelujahs, take an offering and out the door. Until next week. And so that's what many people see the church as being so it's ineffective. But I'm here to tell you that we are called to be salt and light in every area where we go. This is just a meeting place to strategize, to come together, to be encouraged and strengthened, to pray together, to seek God together, to hear from God, and then engage and do what God is telling us to do. That's what we're here for. We're called to reach every sector of our society with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has uniquely, uniquely gifted each of us with a particular gift or a calling. And, and we don't want to pigeonhole anybody into a certain vein of service, but we're here to serve, to equip you to do what God has called you to do. Not everybody is called to be a preacher. We understand that. For years in, in the church, growing up in every part of the church, all I ever heard of is how can we get our kids to come to Bible college? How can we get our kids to go and preach the gospel? And not everybody was called. I mean, we're all called, but few are chosen. And so, what do we do? We try to pigeonhole people. Say, so you belong here, you belong there. We, there's somebody to prophesy over us, and we'll believe that. Or, you know, I call it prophesy. They'll tell us something, and we believe it's from God, but we don't seek God for ourselves. We hear what someone else says, and we go and we do what they tell us to do. And so, therefore, we're frustrated, we're lost, and we're listless, we're ineffective, and we're not doing what God has called us to do. I want to publicly say it this morning. If you are involved in politics and government, I applaud you. I pray for you. I say, go for it. We need more people who will stand up and say, I'm going to stand up for God. I'm going to be a voice in the public arena for God. We need more people. And teachers, 
Don't let them tell you that if you're a believer in Jesus, you can't teach in the public schools. It's a lie of the devil. You go. You be salt. You be light. You stand up for Jesus. You be a voice. You be strong. And we'll pray for you. We'll back you. If you were in the arts and entertainment, I and mean, we poo-poo that, say, you don't belong there. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We need people that will stand up and be a voice. I, I'm, I'm just thrilled to see some of the movies that have come out in the past few years that Christians have put together. I mean, it's good stuff. I mean, it's not hokey. I remember back in the 70s and some of the movies that were being produced by Christians, it was like, really? I mean... It was almost embarrassing, but there are a lot of good Christian movies coming out today that, that really speak the truth and really have a strong message, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And, and there are Christians that are even in, her, in, in the entertainment industry that are there that are really speaking up for God. We need people in every area, every arena. We can go on and on and on, but I think you get the picture. So... The Bible says if, if we are, are speaking prophetically in proportion to our faith, if we're doing service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in 